Hi, BT Focus listeners. We got a great episode today on one of my favorite topics, which is natural environment teaching, where we learn about how are the ways we can use our learners' natural environments and the things that they are naturally drawn to and motivated by to contrive and capture really highly effective teaching opportunities. Uh, we have a great conversation with Ian McGarvey. We had so much fun as we always do. Uh, we've broken this up into two parts. So part one, you're going to learn about what are the benefits of NET? What are some common steps that go into setting up a natural environment teaching program? And then in part two, we talk about some really relevant takeaways, um, really relevant applications, and some pretty fun challenges for you to try in your own practice as well. And with that, enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the BT Focus podcast dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Hello and welcome back to another clinical topic edition of the BT Focus podcast. I'm joined again by Ian McGarvey. Ian, welcome back. Brian, I feel like it's been a while. I know. It's been a minute. You know, summer is flying by. Um, We're getting ready to enter my favorite season in the state of Michigan, which is fall, right? Get good. Gotta love some good fall weather. Football's coming back. I I was about to say, I've never, you know, I don't really use the term fall anymore. There's summer and then there's football season. There we go. There we go. Which lasts until, you know, February and then spring. So exactly. Completely. Um, So this is kind of funny. Here's a little view behind the curtain, if you will, for podcast recording. Um, Ian, you and I are both uh, working out of our headquarters in Farmington Hills, Michigan today. However, just with audio setups, <laughs> we are in the same general area, but in two different conference rooms. Like if I look out the window, I can see you, but we're, I feel like we're so close yet so far away. We're about 10 yards apart right now. <laughs> separated by two doors. So Separated by two doors and a couple of walls. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get our, we'll get our audio set up a little different. We can actually like truly, truly do this in person next time. But um, thanks again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Always is. Always um, is a pleasure. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about our August clinical topic of the month, which is a favorite of mine. We're going to be talking about natural environment training. Now, I, I think this is like a really great segue from the last podcast we recorded. We released a four-part episode on all about discrete trial instruction. And one of the things we said in that episode is, well, yes, DTT is a core teaching strategy that we use um, quite often with ABA, Ian, is DTT the only instructional technique that we use within ABA? DTT is not the only instructional technique that we use in ABA. Okay. So, correct. Ding, ding, ding. So, we're going to be talking today about a really uh, essential and I think a core component of any great behavior change program, which is natural environment training. Okay. So, let's start off with some general definitions, and then we're going to be talking about applications, some helpful strategies, and what are some, you know, benefits and other considerations when it comes to to NET. Um, One other thing that I'll say is that, so natural environment training, 
there is a number of related teaching procedures that you could say could fall into under that umbrella. You know, just to name a few, we've got pivotal response training, milieu training, incidental teaching, right? We're not going to get in the nitty gritty detail of all of those things. We're really going to hit on the core components that is most representative of all of those strategies, which we would classify as natural environment training. Okay. So Ian, can you enlighten our listeners with just a general overview definition of natural environment training? What are the key takeaways? Absolutely. So when we work with a client, you know, as we've all, we're all probably familiar with discrete trial training, discrete trial teaching, instruction, whatever, whatever three word acronym you use. Um, it, it's kind of our bread and butter of teaching. It's the, it's the foundation of how we begin teaching skills in ABA to children with autism. But at a certain point, it's all said and good when a child can respond reliably and fluently when sitting across from table, excuse me, when sitting across a table from you with minimal distractions, with what we would call contrived or generalized conditioned reinforcers. But at a certain point, we want learning to occur outside of that discrete environment. Um, because our ultimate goal for kids with autism is that we are able to transition them so that they can learn in a lesser restrictive environment, as we would say, or general education or in a classroom with lots of other kids, lots of distractions, just one instructor. Um, and to do that, we've got to find a way to break away from just teaching the child at the table with no distractions, obvious stimuli, contrived generalized condition reinforcement. And the way we can do that is through what we call natural environment teaching. And essentially that means finding times during, excuse me, outside of discrete trial teaching where something in the environment triggers you to say, oh, this would be something good for this child to learn that probably goes along with things they're already currently learning. Um, and using that moment to just prompt that trial. And, um, you know, we have all these procedures that we use error correction and DTT, but with NET, we're just kind of going with the flow. It's, oh, something arises that would be a good teaching trial to use. We slip it in. If kid answers correct, awesome. If not, we're just going to move on. We're, we're not going to sit here and, and, and th you know, worry about the fact that this child has missed, you know, this, uh, gotten this incorrect. And maybe later when we come, you know, back to that similar situation, we might prompt that same trial again, knowing that last time, hey, the kid didn't, you know, know at this time. Let's see if they remember the response from last time. And if not, then maybe we consult with our BCBA and say, hey, notice that this is a deficit for this client. Maybe it's something we should consider adding to the programming. Yeah, well said, Ian. So to sum up some really key points that you just stated. So DTT, yes, it's an essential component within ABA teaching. However, um, some some great characteristics of DTT, the fact that we have many learning opportunities. It's, it's really great for skills that we are trying to emerge, right? That we're trying to um, get into that learner's repertoire, right? Just like an athlete is going to practice over and over again to get really proficient at a skill that they're going to use often. It's also important that they can do that in a game setting, right? So it's not just doing doing drills within practice, which is very important, but it's also let's get in the real world, so to speak. Let's see how you can perform when, hey, is something naturally occurring in the environment? Let's say you're working on identification of feelings. I've worked on this with many clients in the past, right? Um, initially, teaching them how to identify facial expressions and body language 
oh, how does this person feel if you're using a, a two-dimensional card? Oh, she's feeling sad, right? He's feeling happy. He's feeling excited. Then, like, taking it a step further in that natural environment, let's say that they're playing with a peer, you know, they're engaging in some play activity, and their friend that they're playing with is expressing one of those emotions. So the ability to use that naturally occurring motivation in the moment to then be able to build on those skills, right? So you could say, in a sense, DTT is really important to build skills initially, and then that NET component is super helpful to generalize those skills. So can can that learner do it in the relevant environment with the relevant people around, relevant setting, and taking that step a bit further, right? I got to be honest, Brian, that analogy using practice and, and game speed, you know, in regards to sports metaphors and behavior analysis, that might've been one of the best ones I've heard. Oh, thank good. you. That was good. Lo- love a good metaphor. Yeah. Uh, especially <laughs> when it's sports. I mean, yeah. Like, okay. Podcast idea. How can we just like go through sports and behavior analysis together? You know, y- exactly. Well, future also- idea. Future For idea. Sure. Well, in addition to loving sports, I also love food. So I was also kind of thinking about, you know, like, could you draw a comparison to DTT and NET, like in the beginning, you're following a cookbook, right? You're, it's very prescriptive, exactly what you need. You know what, man? The best chefs I know in my life, like my wife's grandfather who cooks for us like all the time, he spoils us rotten, he's the best. I don't think I've ever seen him follow a cookbook ever. It's a Brian, dash of this, a dash of that. <laughs> let's run, I want to run with this analogy here for a second. Let's go, this is, come on. This go. was even better than the sports one, and I really oh, like man. this. So let, 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 let's go back to your, here you said, uh, DTT is kind of like cooking with a cookbook, right? Mm-hmm. The cookbook tells you the ingredients you need, how much of it, how long to cook for, exactly. just like your DTT. Your, your your program should tell you what are the SDs you're using, when you're going to provide reinforcement, what prompts you're going to use. I mean, it's a, it's a great analogy. And, and like you said, the NET is now is, hey, you've done this enough. The child has done certain skills enough where we don't need the cookbook. We don't, we can put the distractions in place. Now we yeah. can do it in an environment where there's distractions and other people and other stimuli and, and reasons why they wouldn't be able to attend and all these things. So great analogy hat, hat oh. off to you, sir. I was cool. Hey, I'm, I'm on a roll today. What can I say? <laughs> what else you got up your <laughs> sleeve? Cause you I'm, get, I'm you ready. Get lucky once yeah, I'm right. ready. Right. Right. No, but I think this is a really important distinction to make because I think oftentimes, um, you know, ABA is, often associated solely with discrete trial instruction, right? And, and rigid uh, teaching. Yeah. And that's, that's not what we're about, right? That's not what, that is, our science has evolved so much, right? And, and, and over the, the decades, even in recent years, right? It's constantly evolving. So a good ABA program is a, a, a rich uh, combination of both naturalistic teaching opportunities and more programmatic teaching discrete trial and training. I've heard it described as a dance and I really like this visual of a really engaged behavior technician when they're working with their client. Yes, they're going to be alternating back and forth between working in a more traditional instructional setting, working at the table, right? Working at a table is an important life skill, academic readiness skill that all of our learners will have to, you know, get at some point in time, right? There's going to be an expectation at some point when they're in school that they got to sit at the table, we got to do our assignment, we got to remain on task, right? So we have those more traditional instructional settings within DTT. But you know what, Ian? You know, I'm going to use air quotes here. During breaks, right? During breaks where that client is going to be engaged in more of those reinforcing activities, um, 
really those are those are not breaks from learning, are they? No, this is when we're pivoting. This is when that dance continues in the form of naturalistic teaching, right? So I would say as a behavior technician advances and they develop this skill, this NET um, based instruction is huge. And I think a really key like differentiator of someone who's starting off in the field and then getting more advanced and proficient, the more skilled you can be in, we'll talk about these two different terms, capturing or contriving motivation in the moment away from, you know, that, that teaching setting, um, or that instructional setting, that's a sign of a really thriving behavior technician. So, um, we're, we're going to talk about just a couple tips um, about how BTs can set themselves up for success and implement some really effective natural environment training strategies. All right. And in an earlier podcasts, we talk about the importance of preparing for your session, right? Coming in with a plan in place about these are the programs that we're going to be working on, either these are the current goals. But I think something to keep in mind too for BTs and supervising clinicians is at what point in the therapy session are we going to target specific skills, right? Because certain ones are going to be far more um, applicable in a you know a tabletop type instructional setting. And some, you have to be working with other peers. You have to be in the natural environment, right? So having a plan in place of how you're going to be teaching certain skills and in what fashion and what setting as outlined by your behavior plan, um, this will set you up for success first and foremost. So let's go with some of these tips, Ian. Yep. So here's the first step, um, first tip when it comes to implementing natural environment training. It is preparing the environment. And what do we mean by that? Well, first and foremost, Natural environment training is driven by that learner's motivation. So we need to ensure that we are enriching that environment with things that that child is going to be motivated by, which will be that first step in initiating that process. So Ian, like, what are some practical examples of ways BTs can prepare the environment for NET? Great question. And ultimately, it just comes down to, you know, we've talked about happy, relaxed, and engaged before. Um, it, it really just goes along with making sure you really just hit the nail with the hammer, making sure that the reinforcement environment or, you know, as behavioralists would say, that reinforcement um, a condition, if you will, is optimal for the child or, are you know, are they in the best place? Because ultimately, if a child's not in a place where they are relaxed, happy and engaged with reinforcement, the chances are they're not going to be willing to learn while in that reinforcement period. And kind of adding to just the tips is of, you know, we want to use the child's motivation to steer where natural environment learning is going to go. We, we want to contrive or contrive is not the right word here. Sorry, but we want to come up with trials that we're going to run in DTT that are beneficial for the child. And let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, you've got a box of crayons and child wants to color, right? They've got 24 colors of crayons in this box. You don't know which one the kid wants. So you hold out the crayon box and you're like, you know, pick the crayon you want. And the kid grabs the pink crayon. Well, we've now just found a situation where, okay, we didn't know what the kid wanted and the kid probably didn't know how to to, to verbally express what they wanted as far as which crayon they wanted. They might have mandated for crayons. We held the crayon box and said, pick one. But now we've got an opportunity to teach a child how to request the specific crayon. Sure. So now this is where I say, oh, 
what color is this? And if they don't know, it's pink. Say pink crayon, pink crayon. Cool, here you go. And in future, we know that when we get to crayons, that this is a, you know, something we need to watch for. And we've got a re probably a likely reoccurring teaching moment that we can use. Yeah. When we do incidental, or excuse me, when I'm, stay away from incidental teaching still. We'll come to that. But in natural environment teaching, they're not just in, in net, but in behavior analysis, when we program learners via listener responding, tacting, and intraverbals, there's a set of uh, conditional discriminations that we we use, and they're called list, they're called features, functions, and classes. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing natural environment training, behavior technicians, I, I invite you to do this. And I, 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 I so what you're going to do is when your kids in reinforcement, and, and you don't actually like have to do anything verbally, just in your head, watch your kid play. So let's say your kid picks up a reinforcer. Kid mm-hmm. picks up an iPad. Think of all the different questions that you could ask about that iPad or that movie that they're watching that the kid could give responses to. What shape is the iPad? What color is the iPad? What do you do with the iPad? Things like that. You can probably come up with a a list and that's just one thing. What about other things they interact with or other things in the environment? And again, what's the purpose of doing this? That it, 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 how does this benefit the learner? It, with an iPad, it, it may not directly relate, but for other things, by teaching, you know, in natural environments that an iPad is this shape or this color or this size or whatever features you can come up with or or the use for it, we may see generalize to similar items. Mm-hmm. And when learners can get to that point where they can learn in the natural environment and generalize to similar items, we're now getting to the child to a point where they can learn without being directly taught, which is a huge pivot in learning for children. And, and I know I'm kind of ranting here, but I, but I just, I love this little genre of, of, of talking where as BCBAs and behavior technicians, it's easy to program and teach, you know, these early learners. And once you get to a certain point, we're not just teaching to, to teach the, the specific items. We're teaching the child to learn. And at a certain point, they learn to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're going with natural environment teaching. Yeah. Yeah. All, all really great points, Ian. And just to, to touch on a few that you've just mentioned. So step one, preparing the environment. It's critical to have things within the environment that the child is reinforced by, first and foremost. First right? and foremost. Identify, identifying effective reinforcers. So check out some of our earlier episodes on preference assessments to get you on track there. Um, and then here's another really key one. We're looking for that learner to initiate within that environment, right? And so... Um, there are some ways that we can use the word contrive learning opportunities. So I want to make a distinction here between capturing learning opportunities and contriving learning opportunities, right? So contriving learning opportunities is where you as the behavior technician or the implementer are purposefully arranging for the environment to increase the likelihood of an interaction occurring. So for example, if that child is really motivated by bubbles, right? And we're working on communication training for requests, right? Are we going to put the tables initially like right on the table and within the child's reach? No. What are we going to do? We're going to put that bubbles maybe on top of the refrigerator or somewhere that's slightly out of reach, but within view. Because what we're doing is we're contriving a learning opportunity to occur so that when that child initiates, when it looks at the bubbles, when it points at the bubbles, then you can either put in a delay and wait for the child to give a communication response, or if needed, you can prompt a communication response. What do you want? I want bubbles, right? 
but you're using the environment and you're you're arranging it in such a way to make these learning opportunities occur, right? The other one is capturing. So we just described contriving. You are, you know, naturally setting up the environment so that these occur. Capturing learning opportunities, I would say, is a little bit more of like an organic way of, you know, these these learning opportunities just naturally present themselves and you're able to sl slip in that learning opportunity. So um, instead of setting that bubbles out of reach, if the child is initiating for it and you can um, work in a communication response, it's a little bit more naturally occurring. So um, setting up the environment and waiting for that learner to initiate. Those are two really critical pieces there. When we first start teaching learners to request for items, uh, there, there's documented literature that shows that when children are first learning to request, the best things to teach are items that can be made frequently and immediately available and are in sight. And at a certain point in learning, we start programming to purposefully make sure that items that are motivating the child are not in sight. And it's kind of the basic building block of teaching that ability to request in a natural environment and not have things that you are motivated for insight all the time. Um, and then we can get into more complex mans of, yeah, at first we're just programming for, you know, like you said, we put the bubbles out of reach child wants the bubble. So now they have to ask for them. It can be taken so many steps further by saying, yeah, we're here. You go with bubbles, but you don't put a wand in there. And now they have to ask for mm -hmm. the wand. Mm -hmm. um, so it can just go so many different directions with, you know, the contriving and then obviously, um, you know, the, the capturing again, uh, you, you know, alluded to this earlier, the, the really, really uh, experienced behavior technician can see those capture moments in the moment and just jump on them. And we're going to talk more about that as we get into incidental teaching. Completely. Yeah. Very well said. It becomes like a superpower that, <laughs> that you can't it, turn off. That you that cannot you turn, turn off. off. No, no, no. So yeah, it is, it is definitely a level to aspire towards and, you know, BTs who are listening, like talk to your BCBAs. What are some great, you know, strategies so I can maximize learning opportunities away from the table, so to speak during break time in the natural environment. Another program that I love that I think is like really relevant to this is um, a program where um, additional items are needed to complete an activity. So for example, it would be like, okay, it's time to color, let's color. And you give the child a piece of paper only, right? And you wait, you wait and you're waiting, you know, what, what's needed to, to color? What are you, oh, what are you missing? Oh, crayons, please, right? So you're creating those learning opportunities, creating that motivation in the moment because you're missing an item, right? Um, so I think that's a really creative, fun way. So talk to your BCBAs about some other great tips. Um, so those are just a few. Um, all right. Thank you for joining us for part one of this natural environment teaching episode of the BT Focus podcast. Join us again for part two, where we explore more practical tips and takeaways to enhance your practice and to allow us to create environments that our learners can grow and thrive. 